This is the MTA Podcast, episode 358. This podcast is brought to you by UCAN. UCAN's patented ingredient, Super Starch, has the remarkable ability to provide a steady release of energy without spiking blood sugar levels. This helps you focus through long days, last longer in training, and keep hunger in check without compromising your health. Fuel your next personal best with UCAN and save 20% on your order with code MTA Challenge. This podcast is also brought to you by MetPro. Speak with a metabolic expert that will help you get actionable steps toward achieving your goals, whether it's to eat better, to lose weight, to change your body composition. Check them out at metpro.co forward slash MTA. Tell them we sent you. You'll get $500 off their coaching. Metpro.co forward slash MTA. Welcome to the Marathon Training Academy podcast, where we empower and inspire you to go the distance. I'm Trevor. And I'm Angie. In this episode, we provide an overview of the Olympic track and long distance events, how they work and what makes them special. Plus, Coach Angie will share tips on how to make the most of your speed workouts at the track. And don't forget, as a member, you can get all of our back episodes, training plans, and more. Find out how to join when you visit MarathonTrainingAcademy.com. All right, so this is our Olympic special uh, episode here. We are big fans of the Olympics. I guess we're kind of like Olympic junkies. We've been watching it all day. (laughs) And just to see all of these amazing athletes from around the world, just love it. I don't know, what about you, Angie? Yeah, it's it's interesting. You learn so much about different sports that I had no idea, like what the rules are and different aspects of form and different things. So you learn a lot about that, but also the personal interest stories that they talk about of athletes. I think it's super inspiring. If you don't know much about some of the track events, this will be your chance to learn uh, what they are, how they work. But before we do that, a little bit of news from the running world. Uh, Tim Olson Ultra runner who has won Western States in the past uh, actually set a new record, right? Well, it's waiting to be verified, but as of now, it's a new supported fastest known time of the Pacific Crest Trail. He finished on July 22nd, and it took him 51 days, 16 hours, and 55 minutes, which is about 24 hours less than the previous record. It's a 2,652-mile course with 400,000 feet of elevation gain. And I think he went north uh, this time from California to Washington. That's right. So let's give some shout outs to folks in the community. Angie, what do you got for us? We'd like to say congrats to Tony from the Social Distancing Run. He says, I got the 50 plus age group win at the San Diego Half Marathon with a one hour, 19 minute and 42 second time and was 20th place overall. Also got an official half marathon PR by four minutes. And this note is from Scott. He says, I finally got some consistency in my running and I reached the 300 mile challenge, dropping 20 pounds along the way. Wow. My final run before earning this medal was listening to the last MTA podcast. Thanks, Angie and Trevor. Well, thanks for listening and uh, participating in the 300 mile challenge and congrats on your progress. That's right. 
This is a comment we got over on our blog. It comes from Nana from Ghana. She says, thank you for your blog post on the aging marathoner. It had a very personal meaning and several practical tips for me. I'm 68 years old and my first marathon was 10 years ago at age 58. My target then was just to finish a marathon, which I did in five hours and 40 minutes. The target now is to run a marathon each year till I'm 90 years. Your generous use of the scientific evidence behind aging and physical effort was particularly reassuring. (laughs) That's cool. That might be the first person from Ghana we've heard from. I like her goal of running a marathon each year until she's 90. Yes. I'm always so inspired by aging marathoners who just continue going the distance and, you know, having big goals. And we got this email from Megan. She says, hello, Angie and Trevor. I've been so encouraged listening to your podcast. In early February, I watched The Courage to Run and was inspired by Gabe Brunwald's story. And I started training for my first marathon that was a long time coming. 14 years ago, I ran my first half marathon after my friends coerced this non-runner to come along for the quote-unquote fun. I was not exactly excited, but I completed it and then was hooked on running. After a couple half marathons, I was excited to try to run a marathon, but then found out I was pregnant with my first child. Needless to say, I've spent the last decade caring for our four small children and in February realized that I finally felt like now was the time to run my first marathon at age 34. This process has not been easy, but it's been so good for me. One of the first things I heard you guys say was it is good to do hard things, and I completely agree. Since listening to an episode about fueling for long runs, I decided to order UCAN products and I love them. Thank you for the recommendation. Since using them, I ran 20 miles and it went fantastic. Thank you for all that you do. And that comes from Megan. Well, thank you for sharing your journey with us, Megan, and and good luck on your training and building up to the marathon distance. I'm glad your friends talked you into uh, coming along on a quote fun run. (laughs) (laughs) Just think about how fun it is when you're out there doing 18 miles in the heat. (laughs) (laughs) There's magic in the misery, as they say. Well, congrats to everyone out there just getting it done. We're going to jump into our Olympic special episode and talk about track workouts to help improve your speed. We'll bring it to you right now. So the other day, I uh, posted in our group for members, what would you like to hear us talk about on the podcast? Because we really like to be relevant and want to help people get to the next level. So this group, of course, is a great place to go for informal surveys. And Becky had a suggestion, which she said, this isn't much notice, but I think an Olympics-focused episode would be cool. If before the Olympics, an episode about the marathon, mid to long distance track runs, and then she says, after the Olympics, discussing the highlights and even interviewing some of the athletes. So we plan to have Elliot Kipchoge on the podcast. <laughs> no. We wish. <laughs> yeah, we just need a bigger budget for that. Um, we've had quite a few Olympians on the podcast in the past, thankfully. I guess we have been lucky. We've had Frank Shorter, the last American to uh, win gold in the Olympic marathon back in, what when was that, 1972? So anyway, we like the idea of an Olympics-themed podcast episode. We'll focus primarily, of course, on the running events. Angie, the other day I was at a little party with some other dads and their sons, and the dads were playing cornhole, which is not an Olympic event, by the way. <laughs> or a running event. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> It's a good drinking event. (laughs) 
But the kids, they were running and playing soccer, and then they started arguing about which sport has more running. Does football have more running? Does soccer have more running? And it's the, the dads. Basketball, I think you mentioned. Yeah, basketball. The dads were chiming in. Then finally I said, running has the most running. <laughs> Our sport takes it. So anyway, we're going to talk about the running-related events. There's lots of running in the Olympics, but we're going to narrow it down to the track and the marathon and maybe a little bit about the triathlon. If you're like me and you didn't run in high school or college and you might not be familiar with the different distances and terminology, this is a good primer, I hope. First of all, when we talk about the basics, there's the sprint, the middle, and the long-distance events featured at the Olympics. And of course, the average outdoor high school and college track is 400 meters around. The same with the Olympic track. Of course. Indoor tracks are typically 200 meters. Angie, you actually ran a marathon on an indoor track. Yes, I did. (laughs) Um, I mean, who knows how many laps that was on a 200 meter. I knew at one point. (laughs) (laughs) So here's what you need to know about an outdoor track. This is, like I said, very basic for the uninitiated. Four laps is 1,600 meters. It's almost one mile. Not quite a mile. We kind of count it as a mile when you do your track workouts. Technically, a mile is 1,609.34. So there's an extra 30.65 feet to go to get a full mile. So a mile is actually longer than 1,600 meters. But four laps around the track is 1,600 meters. Two laps, of course, is 800 meters, which is just about a half mile. Now, the length of one straightaway on the track is 100 meters. So basically, the track has two straightaways and two curves that total up to 400 meters. There's some good track etiquette that you should follow if you go down to your local track to run on it. Angie's going to talk about that later when we dive into the track workouts. When it comes to the Olympics, the track and field events start up really soon at the time of this recording. And we might be biased, but we think they're some of the most entertaining events to watch. I was watching just highlights from previous years, and I I was able to get Angie to close her book and walk over and see what I was doing. (laughs) What's cool about the running events is they have the longest history going all the way back to the ancient games. There's three categories, sprints, middle distance, and long. Let's talk about sprints, also called dashes. Sprints are among the oldest running competitions on earth. They were actually featured in the ancient Olympic Games, which took place in Greece between 776 BC to AD 393. And I've also read that for the first 52 years of the ancient games, sprints were the only event. People would come out, I guess, by the thousands and watch uh, men, I think it was just men uh, back then, run naked. I think people would still come out to see that. (laughs) (laughs) So here's from the book, The Road to Sparta, which is by Dean Karnazes, who we just had on the podcast. It's a great book because he goes into a lot of history of the ancient games and history of the marathon. He says, the original Olympic foot race distances were not ultra marathons or marathons for that matter, but relatively short sprints. The first of these running races was called a stade, and it consisted of roughly 200 meters, a dash around the perimeter of the arena. Spectators who came to watch these athletic competitions sat in stadiums, from which the modern word is derived. So a little bit of history there, a little bit of background. It's cool to see how sprints have continued into the modern era. Of course, the Olympics was revived in the late 1800s. So there are three sprint distances held at the modern Olympics and also at the Outdoor World Championships. There's the 100 meters, the 200 meters, and the 400 meters. 
Yeah, that's right. The 100 meters is run on the straightaway of the track. You'll see the runners use starting blocks so they can get the maximum velocity to run fast in that distance. Usain Bolt has clocked the fastest 100 meters, 9.58 seconds, and he's called the fastest man in the world and the greatest sprinter of all times. Bolt is an eight-time gold medalist, although he's not competing this year. I've seen a lot of Olympic commercials with him in it, <laughs> and I know he's still very famous all around the world. The fastest woman of all time in the 100 meters is Elaine Thompson Hera of Jamaica with a time of 10.7 seconds. Then comes the 200 meters. This begins on the curve of the track where runners are staggered to ensure they all run the same distance and it ends on the straightaway. The record holder here again is no surprise Usain Bolt with 19.19 seconds. If you Google how many miles an hour does uh, Usain Bolt run, it says 27.3 miles an hour. If you Google Usain Bolt compared to animals, you will find that he can outrun a wild turkey, a squirrel, a domestic pig, a chicken, and a rat. But Usain Bolt would lose if he had to run against a domestic cat, <laughs> a giraffe, a wildebeest, a kangaroo, and a warthog. Who knew they were so fast? So after the 100 meters and 200 meters, there is a 400 meter race, which is one time around the track. The current men's world record is held by Wade Van Niekerk of South Africa with a time of 43.03 seconds. The current women's world record is held by Marita Koch of East Germany, set in 1985, with a time of 47.6 seconds. That's a record that is held for a long time. Yes, so who knows? We'll have to wait with bated breath to see if any of these records fall. There is some suspicion around um, what the East Germans were doing in terms of doping. Uh, a lot of stuff has been written and has come out about that. So I don't know in this particular case what the story is, but just thought I'd mention it. So, And then there's other sprint distance events. There's the 4x100 meter relay where four runners run 100 meters each. And then there's the 4x400 meter relay where four runners run 400 meters each. That's one time around the track each. I think that's one of my favorite events to watch because they have to be so coordinated to get that baton passed off. It's just yeah. speed and coordination. Yeah, you think, okay, is it hard to pass the baton? Of course, the answer is yes. Um, that's why you see some of the athletes fumble it. So here's why it's hard. The baton has to be passed to the next runner within a 20-meter changeover box. If you do it before or after the box you can be disqualified. If you drop it, you can be disqualified. If you swerve out of your lane, you can be disqualified. If you bump another runner. So imagine this, okay, the incoming runners going at full speed, probably like running 20 miles an hour. The next up runner has to get up to that velocity and then they have to pass it before they run out of runway, you know, before they get out of this box. And what makes it even harder is that the leading runner reaches backward with her or his left hand and grabs the baton blindly the runner behind them just has to stick it in their hand and it's all done while they're moving so fast so yeah it's really hard to pass the baton <laughs> but i will pass the metaphorical baton over to angie she'll talk about the hurdles i will huh don't fumble it <laughs> <laughs> This is something that I would never have the coordination to do, but the hurdle events in the Olympics are the 110-meter hurdles for men. This involves 10 high hurdles. They're 1.067 meters or 3.5 feet high, spaced evenly along the straightaway. The women's event is the 100-meter hurdles. There's 10 hurdles, which are 83.8 centimeters or 2.74 feet high. Then there are the 400-meter hurdles. Both men and women have this event. 10 intermediate hurdles, 36 inches for men and 30 inches for women. Now there's no penalty for hitting a hurdle as long as it's not deliberate. 
you can't bust through them intentionally. <laughs> there's a great video where there's this hurdle race in China. Uh, one guy tries to jump over the first couple and he's just hitting them. And then he just, he realizes he's not having a good day. And he doesn't care. So he just runs through and like knocks them all over with his hand. Just, it makes you feel like you ought to do that once in your life. It's like... <laughs> I don't know. The hurdles always make me feel anxious because, you know, realizing like the speed and velocity these runners have built up and just the coordination of their foot placement and getting over these hurdles and keeping their momentum going. It's just a lot. That's right. (laughs) All right. So let's talk about middle distances. Now we talked about sprints. Let's talk about middle distances. The standard middle distances are 800 meters, 1500 meters, 3000 meters. There's only three. There's, there's actually not a mile in the Olympics. So first of all, the 800 meters, this is two times around the track. Runners start in individual lanes, no starting blocks, but what's cool is they can all converge into one lane after 100 meters. And what makes, I think, middle distance events so exciting is they all kind of have a conservative pace. Well, conservative for them, like it would be a blistering pace for me. But they're all hanging, just waiting to see who's going to try to kick, who's going to get to the front. And then the last 100 meters is usually amazing to watch because everyone's trying to outkick each other and jockey for position. And there seems to be, Angie, like a real mental game behind it, like drafting behind people and knowing when to go. Yeah. And sometimes you see them start out fast to try to get in that left inner lane. Um, And so sometimes you will see people getting kicked with uh, track spikes and blood running down people's legs and sometimes lost shoes and it's a pretty dramatic distance and still more dramatic the 1500 meters this is three and three quarter laps around the track and uh, there's actually no one mile there's no 1600 meter event because most people in the world don't use the mile system they use the metric system so no one cares about a one mile race (laughs) on the track at least yeah yeah i would say it's one of the most challenging events too because just the pace that you need to maintain to be competitive, um, but also trying to keep that extremely high level of effort for 1,500 meters is grueling. And Angie, what would you say about, generally speaking, the different body types of sprint runners and maybe middle distance runners? Well, I would say the shorter distance sprinters tend to have a pretty dramatically more muscular build um, because they are focused more as much as they can on those fast twitch muscle fibers. Explosive power. Explosive power, bigger, bulkier muscles. Like Usain Bolt. Exactly. And so once you get, I mean, the middle distances too tend to have pretty built up physiques um, because they have to have a really strong finishing kick, really tap into that anaerobic system when they need it. Um, But then I would say once you get to the 1500 meters to 5k and above, then you start to see the body types changing more to favor those slow twitch muscle fibers, the leaner, uh, less bulky muscles, more built for distance instead of speed. Good observation. Angie, you mentioned that you probably are not coordinated enough to run hurdles. (laughs) No, I'm definitely not coordinated enough. There's no probably. (laughs) Well, we will for sure keep you away then from the 3,000 meter steeplechase. Oh, for sure. So this is a crazy event where they go seven and a half laps around an outdoor track and there's obstacles. There's hurdles where you can easily rack your shins and there's a pit of water. There's actually seven water jumps and 28 hurdling jumps. Now, this is not the kind of hurdles that fall down when you hit them. This is like a, like a solid beam 
Um, it's 36 inches high for the men, 30 inches for the women. And the water barrier, there's one hurdle that has a water barrier right after it. And that's a, a pit of water that's 12 feet long. It's not very deep, but the deepest point, the slope goes down to 28 inches from what I've read. And what most runners do, because you're allowed to get over the, the hurdle any way you can. So most of them jump on top of it and launch off. So, man, I can just, this looks like an accident waiting to happen if I was to do it. Yeah. The race actually, from what I've read, originated in Ireland, where horses and riders raced from one town's steeple to the next. That's where the name steeplechase came from. And the modern obstacles originated as open ditches and fences that the horses had to jump across. So this is the 3,000-meter steeplechase. All right, so let's talk about now the long distances in the Olympics. First of all, the 5,000 meters or the 5K, if it was a road race, it'd be a 5K. 5,000 meters on the track is 12 and a half laps. It's the equivalent of running three miles, 188 yards. You might be thinking, okay, you're talking about long distance events. A 5K doesn't feel like a long distance if you're a marathoner, but try racing a 5K as hard as you can. and You'll definitely <laughs> see how long it feels. <laughs> That's for sure. Current record holders are Joshua Cheptegei of Uganda, 12 minutes, 35.36 seconds. That was set in 2020. And for the women's side, Latessenbet Gede of Ethiopia, 14 minutes and 6.62 seconds, also set in 2020. And after the 5,000 meters, we have the 10,000 meters. This is 25 laps around the track, 6.2 miles. The world records right now were actually held by the same people. Joshua Cheptegei of Uganda and Latessenbet Gede of Ethiopia. Yeah, the records are, for the male side of things, 26 minutes and 11 seconds. That's just crazy. <laughs> and for the female, 29 minutes and 1.03 seconds. And a lot of marathoners, like you mentioned Frank Shorter earlier, started out at the 10,000 meters. Actually, one of the U.S. marathoners, Galen Rupp, also competed in the Olympics at the 10,000 meters. So it's a very common distance that people often run when they're younger, and then they kind of migrate to the marathon. <laughs> yeah, I remember when we talked to Frank Shorter after his book came out a couple of years ago. So back in the 70s, when he was running 10,000 meters, he said only the really obscure, crazy people were running marathons back then. Well, sounds legit. <laughs> <laughs> For some reason, he got talked into, uh, I guess, by his coach, switching to the marathon. And I think at the Munich Games, he actually did both. He did 10,000 meters and he did the marathon. Yes. There's been a few instances of um, Olympic runners competing in more than one uh, distance event, which, you know, just super impressive because they're often run fairly close proximity, you know, maybe back-to-back -back days or maybe just a, a day or so in between. So the final long distance event is the marathon. So you get the 5K, 10K, and the marathon. We will come back to the marathon and talk about the history of that in a moment. First of all, let's, let's hit some of these other running-related events. We'll call them running-related. Um, there are some race walk events. So you might be thinking, what? Race walk? Yep, that's an Olympic event. And it's quite fascinating because these people might be walking, but they're often doing like sub six minute miles. It is an amazing sport. Now, it's something that really gets mocked because if you watch it without knowing what's going on, <laughs> it looks like people out there swinging their hips and it's a very specific form that you have to have. The rules state that you must always have contact with the ground at all times. So one foot always has to be on the ground and the leg making contact with the ground is not allowed to be bent. So it's kind of a stiffer. So it's all in the hips. 
Yeah, pretty much. Just the amount of physicality and focus that it takes is very impressive. And so for the women's event is a 20K race walk. Um, For the men, they have the 20K and the 50K race walk. There is no women's event yet in the 50K. So we thought we'd also mention the decathlon and the heptathlon since there are running events. Uh, The decathlon is what the men compete in. It's 10 events stretched out over two days. The first day consists of 100 meter long jump, shot put, high jump, and the 400 meter sprint on the track. Second day, you have the 110 meter hurdles, discus, pole vault, javelin, and 1500 meter on the track. For the women, they have the heptathlon. It's seven events in two days. The events consist of 100-meter hurdles, the high jump, shot put, 200-meter sprint, long jump, javelin throw, and 800-meter run. So just takes an incredible amount of all-around skill, speed, endurance to compete at a high level in all these events. We only let Angie do the running part. We don't (laughs) let her do the jumping. No hurdles. Or throwing sharp objects. (laughs) Also, we thought we mentioned the triathlon. The Olympic triathlon distance is a 1,500-meter swim, a 40K bike ride, and a 10K run. The men's triathlon already took place. It was quite awesome to see the the winner, Christian Blumenfeld from Norway. And the commentators were saying that this dude trains eight hours a day. And he wasn't necessarily the fastest. The the runner-up, the silver medalist Alex Yee from Great Britain, has the faster run times. But I think Christian Blumenfeld, like his secret sauce is just the ability to deal with pain really well and you can tell on his face man this guy can dig deep and they all can but i mean training eight hours a day you just gotta love pain to do that (laughs) (laughs) you have to be committed to being the best and the men's race was really close all three medalists finished within 20 seconds so Gold, 145.04, silver, 145.15, and bronze was Hayden Wild of New Zealand, 145.24. And there was a false start on the swim as one of the camera boats impeded several athletes soon after they dived into the water. So it was kind of a debacle. They had to like round up all the swimmers, get them back to the start, restart the race. You got to wonder how much that rattled people. On the women's side of things, it was a rainy, wet race. Um, There was a lead group of five women when they transitioned off their bikes, but Flora Duffy dominated on the running. She made a 5.15 pace seem effortless, and she is from Bermuda. She came away winning the country's first gold medal with her finishing time of 1 hour, 55 minutes, and 36 seconds. Silver medal went to Georgia Taylor Brown of Great Britain with a time of one hour, 56 minutes, and 50 seconds. She actually had a flat during the bike portion, but she made up time on the run, uh, was very strong. And the bronze medal went to Katie Zafaris, the United States. She finished in 157.03. And what's cool about Katie is that she's a UCAN-sponsored athlete. We've been using UCAN for marathons for for years now. Now they've got Olympic athletes, people in many different disciplines that use this stuff, football players, weightlifters, triathletes, runners, marathoners. What we love about UCAN is it's a fueling source that digests quick. It's gentle on the stomach. UCAN has this drink mix. It also comes in energy bar form. That's what we like to use is the UCAN snack bars, like the chocolate peanut butter ones. They taste great, and they give you a nice slow release of energy. 
Yes, we've been using UCAN since 2013 um, and have used it for our races, marathons, ultra marathons. Really love how it doesn't spike the blood sugar so you can keep on a really even keel and it can keep your hunger in check, which I think is one reason why it's used by athletes of all different disciplines. So check them out at youcan.co and you can actually save 20% on your order when you use the code MTA challenge. That's youcan.co and use the code MTA challenge. Okay, so let's circle back to the marathon. The ancient Olympic games actually did not include a marathon. It was added when the Olympics were revived in 1896 in order to give the games prestige. And along that same time, there was a renewed interest in Pheidippides. So the first marathon was based on his famous run from Marathon to Athens, which was 40 kilometers, 24.85 miles. And you might be thinking, okay, the marathon is longer than that. It's 26.2. So what happened? For the next few Olympics after the 1896 one, the length of the marathon remained 24.85 miles. But at the 1908 Games in London, the course was extended, allegedly to accommodate the British royal family. As the story goes, Queen Alexandra requested that the race start on the lawn of Windsor Castle so the smallest royals could watch from the window of their nursery. And you don't say no to the queen. Jesus says to go the extra mile, but for the queen, you have to go the extra two. <laughs> And she wanted it to finish in front of the Royal Box at the Olympic Stadium. And that distance happened to be 26.2 miles, or of course, 42.195 kilometers. The random boost in mileage ended up sticking. And in 1921, the length of the marathon was formally standardized to what we know today. So let's go back to the first Olympic marathon. This is April 10th, 1896. It took place in Athens and the marathon, quite fittingly, was won by a Greek named Spiridon Louis, and he crossed the finish line a full seven minutes ahead of everyone else. His time was two hours, 58 minutes, and 50 seconds. He was the winner, beating the other 16 runners. And of course, in the early years of the marathon, it was seen as a sign of weakness to take in any kind of fluid or fueling, including hydration. Yeah, they didn't have UCAN back then. No, they didn't. <laughs> so you can just kind of adds to the enormity of the challenge. And I'm also thinking about the advantages that we have in gear, footwear, mm -hmm. comfortable tech fabrics, a lot of those advantages. You know, we uh, wear watches to measure our distance, our pace, and about everything else in between. But it's still a struggle, that's for sure. I that's mean, right. The distance can humble you. It's a struggle for all of us to get to the end of a marathon. So we should make a note on women's Olympic running events. Of course, we've talked about how the marathon became an official Olympic event for the men in 1896, but it would be almost 90 more years before women were allowed to compete in the event. Prior to the 1970s, women were considered too fragile to compete in long-distance running, although childbirth, it seems like one of the biggest challenges ever, ever, ever. <laughs> Still harder than running a marathon, right? We are not too fragile for that. But the popular notion was that their uteruses would fall out. So you got to wonder, has that ever happened? Did that ever happen? <laughs> it's not medically possible. <laughs> <laughs> Something fell out and a dude was like, okay, women. He tripped over it and he was like, what? This must be a uterus. Yeah, it's ridiculous. So in 1928, women were allowed to run 100 meters and the 800 meter race, but it didn't last long. A few women collapsed after running in the 800, which is very common for men as well. Anytime you're going all out, you often, you know, kind of fall down after the race. 
and the 800 meters was taken away for women. Um, so they just had the 100 meters. Fast forward to 1948, a 200-meter event was added in, and in 1964, a 400-meter event. So now women can go one time around the track. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) The 800 was finally resumed in 1960, and the 1500-meter was added in 1972. Now, in the 70s, women started running prominent marathons. Of course, they'd been running marathons way before that, but they were kind of pushing back against the notion that women could not handle marathon distance, And as a result, the International Olympic Committee finally added the women's marathon to the Los Angeles Summer Games in 1984. And of course, we know that Joan Benoit Samuelson won that first marathon, and she's still competing in races in her 60s as we speak. She's amazing. Yes, she is. So let's talk about the Tokyo Games. What is going on? At the time of this recording, the Olympics is going on, but we haven't got to a lot of the running events. And of course, the marathon is on the last day. So we are still uh, coming up on that. That's right. The women's marathon is scheduled for August 7th. And the men's marathon is scheduled for August 8th in Japan. It was originally to be held in Tokyo, like the rest of um, the events, but it was moved 500 miles north to Sapporo to avoid the capital city's punishing summer heat and humidity. And for the first time, spectators will not be allowed to line the route. It will be a multi-lap pinwheel course held on empty streets. The first loop is roughly half marathon length, and then there's a 10K loop that runners will repeat twice. Now, of course, this is a far cry from previous years where courses were kind of designed to highlight host cities and where the finish would be in an Olympic stadium full of spectators. But I think most of us are just grateful that the Olympic Games are able to happen at all this year. How are they going to keep spectators from showing up? They have been showing up at some of these cycling events. I was just thinking, okay, when Kipchoge tried the sub two marathon uh, with Nike, the first time it was on a really controlled course, like a racetrack. He, I think he was like 25 seconds short. The second time he's like, let's do this in Vienna. Let's let people be out there screaming the whole time. There's a psychological benefit. That was like the magic that came together. And he was the first person in history to run sub two, but the crowds helped. Yeah, that's right. And of course, the eyes of the world will be on him because he won the gold in Rio in 2016. And he did the Breaking Two project, finishing the marathon in sub two hours. It'll be interesting because he lost the 2020 London Marathon, which ended a 10 race streak. Of course, he didn't lose, but he did not win. Yeah. (laughs) And he's running against some very accomplished Ethiopian runners, including Lalisa DeCisa, who has won the Boston Marathon twice and the New York City Marathon once. Shura Katata, who won the 2020 London Marathon. Stephen Kaprotich of Kenya will also be there. He won the Olympic Marathon in 2012. And of course, there's always new up-and-comers and and kind of the dark horse. You don't know who is going to be having a good day, who's going to be having a bad day. On the U.S. side of things, Galen Rupp is in his fourth Olympics. He took silver at the 2012 Olympics in the 10K. He took the bronze medal in the marathon in 2016. Then Jake Riley is also representing the U.S. And Abdi Abdiraman is in his fifth Olympics at the age of 44. He is the oldest U.S. Olympic marathoner ever. 
but he's still a force to be reckoned with. So anything can happen. On the women's side of things, Bridget Koskai and Ruth Chepnagedich, both of Kenya, are favored. Koskai won the London Marathon in 2019 and 2020. She is the world record holder, having run 214.04 in Chicago in 2019. Another interesting runner to watch for is the Israeli record holder, Lana Saltpeter. She is 32 and earned a spot in the all-time top 10 after running 2 hours, 17 minutes, 45 seconds to win the 2020 Tokyo Marathon. Competing for the U.S. on the women's side is Alephine Tuliamuk. She recently had a baby six months ago, but she wow. is coming back to um, top form. Molly Seidel and Sally Kipigo. And there are so many Japanese runners who are extremely talented at the marathon distance. Of course, they have the home turf advantage, maybe. <laughs> you see how much that plays into it. Yeah, and running is hugely popular in Japan, from what I've read. Japanese marathoners are on the ascent. You might remember a Japanese runner won the Boston Marathon 2018, uh, the year the weather was horrible. And I've read articles that Japan is the most running-obsessed culture in the world right now. Well, they're doing something right then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, it's going to be exciting. It's always hard to predict, you know, how things are going to go. The marathon can throw anything at you. You can have some of these top runners drop out. You can have people that you didn't expect that were not predicted to win or podium come from behind and and, and do that. Yeah, anything can happen. So all I know is we will be watching it. That's right. Put aside all else to watch the marathon events. It's like the crowning moment of the Olympics, but we might be a little bit biased. <laughs> so that is a look at the Olympic running events. Hope it was interesting. Now we want to circle back and give you some good tips and recommendations on how to improve your speed by doing track workouts. Before we jump into that, big word of thanks to this episode sponsor, MetPro. If you're looking to get help with your nutrition, whether it's to gain muscle mass, to lose weight, to change your body composition, or just to eat better, to feel better, check these people out. They've been a big help to us. What's tricky about the metabolism is that everyone's is different, so it's really hard to find a one-size-fits-all plan. So MetPro comes in, they get you going with a baseline test, figure out what your metabolic rate is, and they start up-adjusting and down-adjusting to help you reach your goals. That's right. They have this wonderful app to help you track your macros, track your exercise, enter your weight, different metrics to kind of keep you on track. And also phone check-ins with your coach. I actually talked to Coach Natalie today. So MetPro is a wonderful service to have in your corner. Check them out at metpro.co forward slash MTA. Talk to one of their experts. If you decide that coaching is a good fit for you, you'll save $500 with our uh, handy link, metpro.co forward slash MTA. So Angie, let's talk about how to get the most out of speed work and track workouts. Yeah, utilizing a track during marathon training can be a great way to change things up and really get serious about speed work because you kind of feel like if you make the effort to show up at a track, like it's down to business, you know, you're not yeah. going to back out of it. Um, of course, speed work should only be implemented after you've built a solid endurance base, often referred to as a running base. This endurance base works as a solid foundation for faster running, like on the track, and without it, you as a runner risk injury and not getting ideal results. Since not everyone has access to a track, there are a variety of speed workouts that you can use for your marathon training. Some of the most popular and helpful ones include tempo runs and various intervals, and they can be run on the road or the track. There have been many marathon training cycles where I've done speed work 
on the road and treadmill and have not used a track. However, I feel like doing intervals on the track is especially helpful because you can keep track of the distance more accurately. And I always feel like I'm more in the zone at the track, like, okay, I'm here to run fast. Way back in podcast episode 137, we interviewed Chris Russell, and it was kind of all about qualifying for Boston. And he says, the track is a dark place that you must force yourself to visit in your quest to run a BQ. Learn to relax into discomfort and focus on your mechanics. Hmm. So for, for those of us who didn't run track in high school or college, we kind of talked about what a standard track length is. And on most of these tracks, you'll have several lanes to choose from. Most high school tracks, which are most prevalent, have six lanes. Many tracks have a special coating that add more spring to your step and decrease impact forces. Now, in order to share a track appropriately, you need to learn the hours of the track and make sure to vacate the track if a team is practicing. So if it's a high school track, obviously the high school team has priority in using that track. There may be a place online where you can go to see when teams and clubs practice so that you can go instead during the community or open hours. I actually found a website which is called runtrack.run and you can enter in where you live and what kind of track you're looking for and it will show you the closest open one in your area. So if you are visiting the track during the community hours, or if you're there with your running club, it's important to know how to share the track so that everyone can get a good workout. So I'm gonna give you a few rules of track etiquette to observe. The most universal rule is that runners in the midst of a workout should stick to the inside lanes. Of course, the innermost lane to the left is closest to 400 meters, while walkers and runners who are doing recovery jogs should occupy the outer lanes. Uh, Second rule of etiquette, you should always run around the track in the counterclockwise direction unless it's posted otherwise. Number three, always pass on the right and make sure you've completely cleared the runner before dropping back into the lane. In order to do that, if a faster runner comes up behind you, they may call out track or on your left, which means that they want to stay in their lane because they're probably in the middle of a sprint. In that case, look to your right really quickly and move over if possible. Now, many runners wear their normal running shoes for track running, although some prefer a lighter weight shoe that's more built for speed. Runners who race on the track typically wear a track spike, which is lightweight, and it has a spike plate on the bottom that digs in for more traction. There are different options available depending if you're doing short sprints, middle, or long distance. The short sprint spikes are designed to keep the runner on their toes. They typically have no cushioning in the heel, and they're usually on the stiffer side, and you're really not running in them for very long. <laughs> the middle distance spikes, of course, for the 800 to 1500 meters, are a bit more flexible. The spike plate is usually set more midfoot, and they do offer a bit more cushioning. Long distance spikes for 1500 meters to 10K have a less aggressive spike plate. They offer more cushioning, and they're often more durable and flexible built for longer distances. So probably the long distance spikes are the best bet if you're an endurance runner looking for better grip during track workouts. You know, if you do them weekly, you may want to invest in a shoe built for that purpose. But you can still get plenty of good workouts in at the track without those shoes. Um, Angie and I both never have owned a pair of track spikes. But if you're looking for an excuse to buy another pair of running shoes, here you you go. go. Just giving you the in. That's right. (laughs) It is important to note that some GPS devices may be inaccurate at the track, although some watches have track settings that you can use. 
Um, so if you're doing intervals, uh, maybe use more of like a stopwatch option. Um, even in the past, I have just written down my splits because for some reason, you know, when you combine your cool downs with your sprints, it's hard to get an accurate number. All right. So maybe this is inspiring you to get down to the track. Let's talk about some speed workouts. First of all, strides. That's right. If you've never done any speed work before or you're returning to speed work after a significant time off, strides are a wonderful way to get started. These can easily be done on or off the track. Basically, strides are short, controlled bursts of running to work on form and efficiency. They're sometimes done at the end of a workout or to top off a warm-up before you go into more speed work. Strides should be done at a controlled hard pace. So this is not an all-out sprint. So about maybe 95% effort level. You can do them according to distance if you're at the track. Do strides of 50 to 150 meters. Or if you're road running, you can still incorporate strides by running them according to time. Many GPS watches will allow you to program in certain intervals, which is really helpful so you're not looking at your watch all the time. However, sometimes I just do them according to time and run 20 seconds hard, 40 seconds easy. So if you're on the road, a good strides workout would be start by running two miles easy to warm up, then run 20 seconds hard, followed by 40 seconds easy. You then repeat that hard, easy sequence for the total number of times on your training schedule. Or if you're just getting started, start with maybe four to six, work your way up to 10 to 12 as you go along. And then finish the remaining distance on your training plan at an easy pace and cool down completely. Now, if you're at the track, always warm up first by running, you know, at least 10 to 15 minutes easy, then run 100 meters hard, followed by one minute easy jog and repeat that for about four times. And then if you have another speed workout plan for the day, you can just kind of transition into that and those strides provide a nice warm up for your body. Another really important workout to know if you're doing speed work on or off the track is interval training. Basically intervals is an umbrella term for speed workouts where a set distance is run repeatedly with recovery jogs or walks in between the intervals. And the purpose is to build speed and to build up your aerobic threshold. Now we've already talked about strides, which are a type of interval, and there are a huge variety of interval workouts that can be done depending on what you're training for and what phase of your training cycle that you're in. But because this is a marathon training podcast, so a lot of people are training for half marathons and marathons, we'll talk about three types of intervals that might work well in your training. The first one is mile repeats. These are a good way to build longer repeats into your training. They're similar in effort to a tempo run, but they do have a short rest period built in. Mile repeats improve your running economy and they recruit both slow twitch and fast twitch muscle fibers, which improve your stamina and strength. You wanna run them at about a 5K race pace or at a hard but relaxed pace. So again, you're not sprinting, not going all out, but it should feel hard. To do mile repeats, I would recommend warming up for about 10 to 15 minutes then run one mile hard, or if you're following a training schedule, do the pace on your schedule with 400 meters, that's a quarter mile, easy recovery jog or walk immediately afterwards. Then you're gonna repeat that sequence, the one mile hard, 400 meters easy, two to four times, and then finish with about five minute easy cool down run. And since four times around the track is almost a mile, you can just do that during the the one mile hard, right? Yeah, exactly. 
So 1,600 meters hard, 400 meter rest recovery, rinse and repeat. That's right. Now, more advanced intervals um, that you may commonly hear about is the Yasso 800. This is a type of interval workout invented by Bart Yasso. It involves running sets of 800 meters with 400 meters easy in between. And it's best performed on a track just to keep track of your intervals easier. And what's cool about this, it's not a watertight thing, but you can predict your marathon time based on your Yasso 8s. So Angie will talk about that too. Yeah, you can get a rough idea. Um, it's it's hotly contested within the running world um, if it's a, a marathon prediction workout or not. But I would say it comes, you know, within the ballpark. So let's give an example of what Yasso 800 looks like. Um, a full Yasso 800 workout is going to call for 10 sets. So run 10 to 15 minutes easy to warm up, then run 800 meters hard and make sure you record your time, then do a 400 meter recovery lap. You can jog slowly or walk, whichever uh, works best for you, and then repeat the sequence, 800 hard, 400 easy. For 10 times, take all of your times from the 800 meter intervals, throw out the fastest and slowest times, and then average the other eight times, and that will give you a rough estimate of your possible marathon finishing time. So yeah, just you will have to write down your time after each 800 meters. So you go out there, warm up for about a mile and a half or 10 or 15 minutes. Then like Angie said, twice around the track hard, 800 meters. Push it, stop, write down your time, go around the track one more time to recover, and then boom, push it hard around the track twice, as fast as you can, stop, write it down, then do a recovery. And you're gonna do that sequence 10 times. Yeah, it's, it's a tough workout. It is. It will leave you feeling drained. I would recommend fueling before and possibly during the workout just so that you can get the most out of yourself. So how does it predict marathon times? So if you average four minutes per 800 meters, then it might indicate that you're in good enough shape to run a four-hour marathon. But yeah, I will emphasize it's only a rough estimate. So if you try it and it doesn't work, just email Bart Yasso. I'm sure he would love to hear you. <laughs> complain. <laughs> Tell them it didn't work. <laughs> the final type of interval that we're going to talk about is the ladder workout. This is where you run increasing intervals with recovery jogs in between. There are a huge variety of ladders that you can perform like 200 meter, 400, 600, 800. Um, these are best done on the track for most accuracy. Uh, the following ladder workout is a tough one. It adds up to eight miles, and it might be a good one to use during marathon training because it includes longer intervals. So if you're training for a longer distance events like the marathon, you're going to get more bang out of your buck from the longer intervals versus the shorter sprints. So this one, you're going to run two miles easy to warm up. Then you're going to run 400 meters hard, followed by 400 meters easy. Then 800 meters hard, followed by 400 meters easy. So we're climbing the ladder. 1,200 meters hard, followed by 400 meters easy. Then 1,600 meters moderately hard. If you run them all out, you're probably going to die in the middle. <laughs> followed by 400 meters easy. Then you're going to go back down the ladder. 1,200 meters hard, 400 meters easy. 800 meters hard, 400 meters easy. Then finally, 400 meters hard, and then finish with maybe 800 meters easy cool down to help your body return to baseline. And I guarantee if you know if you run them at the appropriate effort, you will probably stagger away cursing my name. <laughs> but I didn't invent them, so. <laughs> yeah. Go to that dark place, the track. <laughs> That's right. Speed work makes the dream work. Yes, it does. 
So there are some tips on track workouts and some speed work drills that you can do. Hope it was helpful. That brings us to the end of this episode. Big thanks to everyone who's left us a five-star review on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. It definitely means a lot, and we read all of them, and it helps us in the rankings. If there's any way we can help you, uh, reach out. We have a contact form on our website, marathontrainingacademy.com. And if you're hearing this in time, don't forget the Olympic Marathon. is going to take place on the 7th and the 8th Tokyo time. Well, you guys are awesome. Thanks for listening. And always remember, you have what it takes to run a marathon and change your life. Right on my way.